is I got out of jail. I was walking around town trying to figure out where my car was. And to finally get to my car, I had to walk over this bridge. And I stopped halfway. And I thought I was just going to jump in it all. But I couldn't do that. So I walked across the bridge. I got into my car. I went home. I called the number for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, I think I need help. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. So that was the voice of Mr. John S. that you heard at the beginning of this podcast today. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Jennifer and Grace. Jennifer and Grace went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Grace, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We're going to let everybody else listen in, but this episode is for you. Now, Mr. John S., who you're about to hear, has over 30 years sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, he is, what makes this program, or what makes this episode, excuse me, a little bit different, is that John is an atheist. Didn't start out that way, um, but I'll let him explain his uh, uh, evolution, if you will, uh, in becoming an atheist within the rooms of AA. And so uh, John hosts a podcast. It's entitled AA Beyond Belief. And uh, he actually started a meeting in the Kansas City, Missouri area, and it's titled We Agnostics. Uh, It's a secular AA meeting, and uh, the meetings are run a little bit different. In in other words, they don't start with a prayer or end with a prayer. Um, But I'm going to be putting links to all of this information, John's podcast, um, and uh, and the secular AA meeting, uh, another link to... Um, how John rewrote We Agnostics. He re- rewrote uh, 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 how it works to kind of suit their needs, if you will. And so it's interesting to me because I've always considered AA to be a little bit of a subculture. You know, we have our own lingo and the own, you know the way we talk to each other. And you know, everybody knows about the secret handshake, right? If you don't know about it, maybe you should be going to more meetings. But anyway. So I've always considered AA a subculture, and this John's group is kind of a a subculture within a subculture, if you will. 
uh, I had no idea there were as many secular AA meetings all across the world. Um, and once again, there will be a link in the show notes where you can view all that. But, uh, you know, I've thought about this also. Why am I bringing John on to Sober Speak? And, and I guess, well, number one, I was very, very intrigued by the whole movement, if you will. And then number two, um, you know, there is a tradition, which anybody who's a regular attendance, who has regular attendance within AA or Al-Anon will know, and that is the only requirement for membership is a desire to quit drinking. And I want to give people a voice um, that are wanting and willing to stay sober. And uh, I just want these people to be heard. And I think this is uh, an absolutely wonderful thing uh, that John S. is doing here. But before we get on to Mr. John S., and I know you're going to enjoy the episode, I just want to give you a uh, first of all, I have a couple of asks, and then I'm going to go some listener feedback, and then we'll go right to John. Uh, number one, if indeed you are enjoying Sober Speak or a particular pod or a particular episode that you have heard, please share it with a friend or family member. Um, I just, and I say this all the time, but these people who come in here and tell their stories, um, I, I just, I appreciate them so much and I want to get the word out uh, regarding their stories and, and I'm hoping it can help somebody somewhere out there in this world. The other thing is, if you could follow me on Instagram, if you're an Instagram kind of person, I would appreciate it. I'm at Soberspeak, all one word, S-O-B-E-R-S-P-E-A-K. And this is not really an ask, but I just want to let you know that if you need to know how to subscribe to um, uh, a Soberspeak, uh, how, you, how to listen to us, I should say, on either Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes Podcasts or on, oh, what's the third one? Spotify. Just text the word Sober, S-O-B-E-R, to Three one nine nine six. So text the word sober to three one nine nine six, and you get a link showing you how to do that. Now, a little bit of listener feedback, and then we'll get on to Je- uh, to um, John. Jenna writes in. Jenna says, "Hi, John. I listened to David G. and very much appreciated his experience with steps one through three. I have a request. Could you maybe?" Do a series with David and have him cover all of the steps. I think it would be helpful to a lot of us, and I know it would be helpful for me in working with my new sponsee. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. It is so convenient for me to listen in between meetings, Jenna. Well, Jenna, first of all, the episode that she's talking about is episode number 59. It's called David G. Steps 1 through 3 in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I reached out to David right after you wrote in, Jenna, and David has agreed to come in and do that. And now I am... Uh, putting this out on the air, so we're definitely going to have to get David to come back in for the rest of the steps. The second letter comes from Cassandra. Cassandra writes in, by the way, Cassandra is an Al-Anon member, and I have pledged to get more Al-Anon members on this 
podcast uh, this year. I love the program of Al-Anon, and I want to get people on from Al-Anon. In fact, if any of you know someone out there who you think would be uh, articulate uh, enough to tell their story uh, and would be uh, good for the Sober Speak podcast, just let me know uh, if you have a, like a tape of something that you have done in the past or they have done. Uh, it would be very helpful if I could uh, hear a, I, I'm saying tape, but you know what I mean, send me a, an electronic link to what they've done. But anyway, Cassandra writes in, she says, Hello, John. I live about two hours southwest of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, in a college town, and I frequently, frequently travel to Fort Worth for meetings when I get the time. I came across Sober Speak over the summer when I jumped into my own recovery. I had been in and around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous since I was 11 when a family member began their recovery. I am now 28. And I needed something to encourage me as I traveled to and from my meetings. I listen to Spotify all the time and just happen to search for the word sober. Since I had heard many AA members speak over the years, I felt right at home listening to your podcast. I credit those early years to really encouraging me to surrender this summer. I remember being on the phone when a family member asked me, that's nice, but what are you doing for yourself? That was the moment that took my breath away. I had known for all these years that I had not been unscathed from alcoholism. It's a very good way to put that, Miss Cassandra. Uh, but this was the exact moment when it dropped from my consciousness to my heart. Alcoholism and addiction run in my family, several, several generations back and on both sides. I also married into it. Needless to say, I am now a grateful Al-Anon, and there is no looking back. After all, Al-Anon wouldn't exist without having AA come first. I'm thankful, uh, I'm thankful and believe that my higher power can do for me what I was never able to do for myself. Trust me. I've been through the list, A through Z, several times, and this was the solution that always greeted me at the end. It is never too late to begin your own path to a happier life, and while you, not be, and while you may not be able to end the cycle, you can set the example of a better life to come. Blessings, Cassandra J. Thank you so much. Cassandra J for writing in. I always love to hear from Alanons. If there's any other Alanons out there that want to write in, I would love to read what you have to say on the air. And the last one, and we'll go on to uh, Bjorn. Excuse me. And then we'll go on to uh, John S here is a uh, Bjorn from Sweden writes in. I love it. Hey John, on the subway enjoying the latest podcast with David G. Keep up the great work. God bless. Well, I am glad that you are sitting on the subway in Sweden enjoying Mr. David G. Bjorn. Thank you so much for writing in. And now we're on to John S. Enjoy. Okay, so today we are sitting here with Mr. John S. Uh, and we, uh, in fact, uh, uh, I, I recorded a uh, an episode a couple weeks ago that had Mr. John M. and now there's a John S. and I'm John M. and uh, I made a joke about it on one of the previous episodes. Somebody wrote in from uh, 
uh, Sweden and their name was Bjorn. And I had, had several people write in and their name was Bjorn. And I was like, is everybody in Sweden named Bjorn that is a male person? And uh, <laughs> so the joke was uh, that uh, everybody in the United States is named John. But uh, <laughs> So Mr. John S., welcome to Sober Speak. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give your sobriety date. All right. Well, thanks. Um, well, my name's John S., and I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and I've been sober since July 20th, 1988. All right. So that is my, my, my math good. So is, that, or is that 30 years already? 30 I celebrated 30 years in July. Yep. The triple X, as they say. Yes. I got that. Got that. <laughs> that is fantastic. So... I mean, I enjoy all the interviews, but this one is going to make me think, and we are going off the beaten path here today, and you'll see what I mean by that uh, as we uh, uh, venture through this interview. So the reason that John and I are sitting here together on this podcast today is because one of the listeners for my podcast, Sober Speak, who sent me an email one day, and they said that they had found Sober Speak when John S.'s podcast here, which is called AA Beyond Belief, and we'll talk about that in a second, stopped putting out episodes during the summer sometime, and so they were searching for something to kind of fill the gap, and so they found my podcast, Sober Speak, and so I actually reached out to John, and I thought, you know what, um, maybe an opportunity for me to, to be on John's podcast, I'd like to do that, and so I sent him a, a message, and he replied back to me, and I should have done my due diligence beforehand, <laughs> but in this case, it turned out to be a good thing, and I started researching AA Beyond Belief, uh, John's podcast, and I found out that AA Beyond Belief is a, I guess, a subculture within our subculture already, uh, and, and it is it is a geared for people that are quote, free thinkers, if I have that term right, uh, atheist and agnostic, that they like AA, but they don't like the deity part of it. I mean, do, I, do, I, do I have That's that right? right? Okay. That's right. We found a secular path in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you very much for putting more succinct words to what I was trying <laughs> to say. And so, uh, so uh, John said, uh, yeah, you know what? I think it may not be a bad idea to have you on our podcast, AA Beyond Belief. And so, as I started to do a research, I, I sent back an email to him and I said, hey, listen, I'm not sure if I uh, am quite qualified, if you will, to be on your podcast because I'm definitely a believer. And so, we ended up having that conversation anyway. John was very gracious. He said, well, you know, hey, this is primarily for atheists and agnostic, but I'd love to talk to another uh, podcaster and somebody who's been in AA and John and I have been sober about the same time. And so that's where we, and so I was on John's podcast. I don't know. He released it, I would say a couple weeks ago now or something mm -hmm. like that. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And so I wanted to have John on my podcast as well. So how, so did I leave anything out there that's kind of significant by any chance? You did great. You did fantastic. That, that was a good uh, summary of what happened. Yep. All right. So, so today I wanted to have, so there's a couple things. Number one, 
like I said, we're going off the beaten path here because this is not a normal sort of a, a traditional, I guess, is what you would call story. And I want to do, I want to have John on. I want to talk about his story, and then toward the end of this, I want to kind of get into the, gosh, how do atheists work this, right? right. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is, uh, I mean, and ever since I've known I was going to have you on the podcast, mm-hmm. every meeting that I've been to over the past uh, a month or two, I've been thinking, wait a sec, how do they get around that? How do they get around that? How do they get around this? You know, and so I want to, okay. the other piece that I want to say to this, and, and I'll shut up, this is, this is your story, but I want to say this is that, you know, uh, I have been to meetings, and I said this on your podcast, and I really mean this, to where I hear people say, well, I knew an atheist in AA once, and they didn't have anything I wanted. Mm-hmm. But I have also been to meetings to where I know there are people who are believers, and they don't have anything I want either. Right. And so it, it cuts both ways on that. So with that being said, John, as why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Uh, let me just throw this out for you to begin with. And that is, what kind of kid were you? I mean, <laughs> what, did, what did your parents think of you? What do your teachers think of you? Well, that's a good question, actually. Thank you. Um, well, I, uh, I grew up in a military family. And uh, so you know, I, it was important for me, I guess, um, back in those days, um, I guess I was polite. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's how people probably would have recognized me. I was quiet. Uh, people used to always say, why are you so shy? You know, um, but I think I was a happy kid for the most part. I enjoyed school. Um, I did well in high school, although that's when I started my drinking. But um, I think I was just a pretty much of, of an average kid. You know, we had problems in our house, but um, we also had a lot of uh, love and laughter in the house as well. So I guess that summarizes how I was as a kid. Do you, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I, I, have, uh, two, I have an older brother and an older sister. Uh, they are, I guess, half siblings. They have different, we, have the, we share the same mother, but different fathers. And then I have a younger brother. Um, so there's four of us all together. Did any of them develop any sort of alcohol or drug issues, or was that really you? My older brother did. My older brother um, is a, is like me, an alcoholic, and he did drugs back uh, in the sixties um, uh, and seventies. Um, but primarily, he he developed a problem with alcohol, like I did. My um, younger brother and sister, and my older sister, they did not. Though mental illness runs rampant in my family, and my younger brother is um, schizoaffective and is homeless in Florida and off medication and just not doing well. Um, And I think all of us kids have had some sort of depression or mental illness of varying degrees that we've dealt with in different ways. Okay, so when did you discover the wonder of alcohol? Pretty early on. um, I think I was probably eight. Uh, I remember my first drink. I was at uh, thanks. It was a Thanksgiving dinner, and my mother uh, wanted to teach me to drink like a gentleman, mm-hmm. and so I had a glass of wine. And uh, that glass of wine, um, I can almost feel it now. It, it was it was it was the elixir. It was what I needed. And um, so, as I said, I grew up in a in an army family. And my parents would have uh, parties a lot where my father would have his army buddies over. 
And this is the late 60s, early 1970s. Um, so I don't know if that means anything, but um, it just <laughs> kind of a party decade, I guess. Uh, so um, I would, uh, after these parties that my father would throw, I would go down and um, have the leftover drinks um, that, you know, the bourbon and the gin and whatever that was left over after these parties. So that obviously progressed past that. Tell me about a junior high, high school. What happened to you there? Yeah. Um, so looking back on what, on, on my childhood, <clears throat> I think what, what was going on with me, John, is I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was, I was afraid. I didn't really feel secure. And I learned that in AA that after I got to the fourth step, that insecurity and lack of security was a real problem. And what was going on, um, like I said, um, my, my father could at times just get violent with us, um, just, just um, over-discipline us. My mother was, was um, severely depressed and on drugs, and um, she could sometimes just burst out into, you know, just anger episodes towards us. Um, so I always had that, I always had that element of fear of, from, of my parents, but at the same time, my mother could be light and funny and sing and be loving. And my father could be supportive and proud of us and, um, fun. So it wasn't like, black and white. It was like some, I didn't know what I was going to get from one day to the next. Am I going to get happy and fun dad? Or am I going to get the angry dad? Am I going to get, you know, light and, and, and loving mom? Or am I going to get the, um, the angry mother who throws insults at me? So that was the world that I lived in. And I think that I accidentally discovered alcohol as a, as a drug, <laughs> as a way to um, make myself feel okay. It was an escape, I guess. It, it helped numb those feelings. So, um, like I said, as as a as like an elementary school kid, whenever I could drink, I would. But I would never. But the first time I got drunk, it wasn't until I was maybe twelve years old. And I remember basically, I was just in our house, and um, there was a bottle of liqueur that my parents kept. There was always liquor in the house, and I decided to have a shot. And that shot was pretty good, so I had another shot. And that was pretty good. So I had another and another and another. And next thing you know, I'm totally wasted. And my parents thought it was funny. They thought, my God, he's, he's drunk, <laughs> you know? Um, and that drunk pretty much was the same as all the drunks after that. I, basically, I, I, the next day I was sick. I was remorseful. I swore I would never do it again. I couldn't go to school that day. I had to stay home sick. And, that, and I repeated that. So, you know, that was like 12. I swore I'd never drink again. And I didn't until maybe I was 14 when I went, when I started high school. And um, in high school, I think that I was doing what most high school kids do. At least that's what we did in, in, in my era is we got some beer, we rode around town and, um, or we went out to some farm pond somewhere and built a fire and drank beer and whiskey or whatever. Um, and that's what I, that's what we did. And, um, I guess even then it started becoming a problem in that it seemed that I was the one that always had to go to the extreme. It seemed like my friends could leave it at the party level and I, I took it to another, another level, I guess. But 
I don't think it was really a problem for me in high school. It, it, my parents were very liberal about it. Um, this is again, 1970s. They thought, hey, I don't care if you drink, just don't do drugs. That was, that was how they felt about it. So I was free to drink any, as much as I wanted. You know, I could take, um, you know, whiskey from the house and go out with my friends and party. So that was my high school. Um, but I really, it, it did progress. And by the time I was in um, college, that's when it really, that's the first time I thought I needed to call AA. I was 19 years old. I was in Lawrence, Kansas, going to the University of Kansas. Mm -hmm. um, I was having problems with school. I was having problems with my friends. I was um, drunk most of the time, sick. And alcohol was obviously pointing to, to everything that was wrong with me. And I, so I saw an ad in the Lawrence Journal World, which is the local newspaper, for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I kept looking at that, and I thought, I really need to go. But I told myself that, no, I can't be. It was ridiculous. I can't be an alcoholic. I'm just too young. So I did not go to that meeting, and I continued drinking. So um, they had an ad in the paper. I don't, you know, I don't recall seeing ads in the paper before. I'm sure they've been there, but was that, uh, how did that, t tell me about that ad. I'm just curious. About, <laughs> yeah, what, what, I guess it would be public, it'd be considered public information. Okay. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was back then we read, we read newspapers. People might remember <laughs> actually, <laughs> and they would put advertisements in them. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, there was uh, there was something for a call out. If you have a drinking problem, call Alcoholics Anonymous. Something how about like that? that? Okay, yeah. so that's what that caught your attention. Did you know what Alcoholics Anonymous was at the time? I used to read Dear Abby yeah. in the newspaper, okay, in the Leavenworth Times. Uh, and um, she would often refer people to AA or Al-Anon if they had a problem, right? So I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous from Dear Abby, and I knew that that was a place to go if I had a problem with drinking. God bless dear Abby. <laughs> yeah, she did a good job. So, so, yeah, so when I saw, again, reading the newspaper and I saw that ad, I said, yeah, that's, that's what I need to do. But again, I just said, no, there's no way I can be an alcoholic. So I continued drinking and uh, ended up um, being dismissed from the university for academic reasons. And uh, so I um, left. I went back to my parents' home. And I made up some sort of a excuse why I was taking some time off from school. And I, this is kind of interesting because it kind of gets into the whole religion thing. I was never, I was never a religious person, John. I didn't go to church growing up or anything. Did your parents go to church? I mean, no, we they, they're, they were from, they're from um, the South. They're from um, Florida and they grew up as um, Baptist mm -hmm. um, and, and were baptized and all of that. But my father and, and my father even taught Sunday school, but when he came back from Vietnam, um, there was no more, we, did, we they didn't care about religion. Uh, there, there, and so I don't know if there's something that happened there, but it seemed from 1968 forward, there was really no interest in our house about church or anything like that, really. Okay. But when I was 19 years old and my life was falling apart, this is, this is the 1980s, early 1980s. And you might remember at that time that televan televangelism was very popular. Mm -hmm. And so I would watch um, Pat Roberts on television. And um, I began becoming interested in religion. And so I read the Bible um, because I knew nothing about religion. I didn't know the first thing. Was so Pat I, Roberts, was that, was he like on the 700 club? Yes, the 700 like, club. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep. So I would watch him on television and I would drink and I would read the Bible. And I think I read the whole Bible. 
I think I read everything from the new, from the Old Testament and New Testament, and I tried at that time to um, have some sort of a religious experience. I tried to become a believer, and I remember something that I would hear that Pat would say on television. He said that if you pray to God like you really believe God will answer your prayer, that God will answer your prayer. It's all a matter of belief, you know. I, I had this going on, and so and let me let me ask you real quick. So, w- when you were watching, w- when you were seeking, if 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 I were to put it that way, was there anything in particular that you were trying to fill inside yourself, or was there some sort of driving question that was uh, taking you toward the televangelist? I needed help. My life was falling apart. I was scared of what was going to happen to me. I was keeping secrets from my parents. Um, I was keeping secrets about my drinking from myself. I was in denial about my drinking. I didn't want anyone to know. You know, heck, I, I wasn't going to college because of my drinking, you know, and I needed some sort of an answer. Mm-hmm. And I guess I looked towards religion. Now, one reason for that, too, is my older brother, um, got very religious when, when, when he was in high school. So I, he, he went, he found um, a religious path. So I, I guess from that, I, th- you know, I thought maybe there was a solution there. And for did me. you see improvement with him, so to speak? Uh... Well, he, he made me uncomfortable as a kid um, because he was much older than me. And so he found God and he would come home and he would talk about how, we um, needed to, you know, find God or we'd go to hell, basically, you know, and it was like a really kind of a frightening message. And I, and, and, and I just felt, you know, I, I was afraid because I, I didn't know how to believe. I tried. I tried to believe. I thought I believe. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so I, that was my only exposure to it. But it, he seemed to be doing well. Yeah, he, he was doing well. This, again, he was, um, he, he went to a Bible college, and he was going to go into the ministry, but he decided not to do that, and instead he went into, like, finance. And he was making good money, and he drove nice cars, and he had nice homes, so he seemed to be pretty successful. Right, so, religion's paying looked, off. Yeah, I kind of looked up to him, so I thought, okay, well. Now, I, I guess I'm, this is just before, I was 20 years old, and um, it's just before, or right, maybe right after my 21st birthday. And I'm, I'm still at home, and um, my father calls me um, from my room, and he says there's something wrong with my mother. I knew there was something wrong with my mother because I passed by her room, and she was very groggy and out of it. But, but that's how she always was, you know. Um, so I came downstairs, and what was happening is she was, she, was, she was committing suicide. She was dying from an overdose. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so... I, my father called the paramedics and they came out to work on her. And as they were working on her, I prayed that she would live. And I remember something from Pat saying that if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you know, just believe that, that, that God will answer your prayer and God will answer your prayer. So I did my best to pray for her as if I really believed. And of course, it didn't work. She died. Wow. And that was my first like experience. Right there that, that day? That they took her to the hospital and tried to work on her. And I mean, I was sitting there watching them pump her and all this stuff, but they took her to the hospital. And when I got, by the time I got to the hospital, my father came out and said, your mother died. 
yeah, that was devastating. So tell me about the moments after that. I, I mean, so he says your mother died. Did you all come back to the house? I mean, we did. Um, were, were, was there anybody else around? Um, what was the... I can't remember that night, to be honest with you, when we came back home. It, he, my father fell apart and I fell apart. We all did. And I drank. And shortly after her death, someone gave me a shot of whiskey to comfort me. And it's like my very first drink. It's one, it's one of those drinks I remember because it comforted me. It made everything feel okay. It was the best shot of whiskey I ever had in my life. That shot of whiskey just put me on a trajectory, just chronic alcoholism for the next five years, really. I coped with her death like I coped with anything through drinking. I'd given up on the religious religion idea, the idea of religion completely, and I didn't pray at all. So for from the ages of you know 20 to 25, it was just before my 26th birthday they got to AA, I was drinking consistently. I was blacking out. Um, I started having legal problems. I started getting arrested for drunk driving. I found myself in jail every once in a while for stupid things. Like I, um, I never paid for any sort of a ticket. So anytime they would stop me, they would have to put me in jail. The DUIs were getting ridiculous. Um, and so what happened is after my third DUI, and each one was a year apart, I, that was my bottom. I was fired from my job. Um, it was a job that I liked. I was kind of trying to replicate my older brother's life. I got into, uh, I, w- I was working for a bank. Um, and I, it was like my first office job. And um, I immediately began to have problems there because of my drinking. But they were really good. And they would offer me help. They liked me. I was a young guy and I did a pretty good job. And they said, you know, listen, we think you have a problem. Please go to treatment. You know, your job will be here when you come back. But I just insisted I didn't have a problem. Hmm. Well, I used to repossess cars for this bank. <laughs> so I used to have to drive their, their vehicles. And um, so they knew about my, my previous two DUIs. And they so said, you were a repo man? Mm-hmm. I was. Oh, yeah. So you'd physically go out to the location? and Yeah. Yeah. With the bank, it was kind of odd. Back in those days, what we would do, if you didn't make your car payment, they would, there was a couple things we would do. They would sometimes send me to your workplace or to your house. And I would ask for the car payment or the keys. And so oftentimes when I did that, I would get yelled at <laughs> <I> or <bet. laughs> whatever, you know, um, that's a dangerous job, right? It was a weird job, but I was young and stupid. I didn't know how dangerous <laughs> it was, but I did find myself in some precarious um, situations at times, you know, um, one time I was in kind of another great part of town and these guys were coming after me and they had baseball bats. Now, maybe they were just going to go play a game of baseball. I don't know. But I, I just took off out of there. And then there were other times when dogs came after me and yeah. like that. But yeah, it was a weird job. But anyway, but I liked it. And, yeah. and they had good parts of it too. Yeah, you know? you're a good alcoholic. You like the <laughs> adrenaline that comes from something like that. <laughs> I, I liked it. You know, it was weird. It was, it was a strange job for sure. But, um, you know, yeah, I, that's what I did. But because I would drive their cars, um, they they told me, if you get another DUI, you're going to lose your job. You're going to, you know, mm-hmm. so please. I said, oh, don't worry about it. That was just a phase I was going through. It's not going to happen. Well, it happened. And I didn't tell them about it. And they found out. 
anyway. And they um, took me to the HR manager's office and they said, they laid it out for me. They said, listen, on this date, we, we talked to you about your drinking and offered you help. On this date, we talked to you about your drinking and offered you help. And they just kind of went through the whole pattern. I broke down in tears and I said, I just didn't know I had a problem. Looking back on it, that was as honest as I could be. Now what I know is I knew I had a problem, John, but I couldn't admit it. I learned that later on. I lied to them. I told them, I'm going to AA, but I wasn't. (laughs) I was hoping that would save my job. But I did go to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting after getting fired. How'd you find it? Well, actually, um, I called Alcoholics Anonymous the day I got the day after I got out of jail from my third DWI arrest. It's one of the situations I got out of jail. I was walking around town trying to figure out where my car was. And to finally get to my car, I had to walk over this bridge and I stopped halfway and I thought I was just going to jump in it all. But I couldn't do that. So I walked across the bridge, I got into my car, I went home, I called the number for Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, I think I need help. And the person on the other end of the phone, they paused, and they were very kind, and I could tell that they really cared. And they gave me the address of a meeting near where I worked, downtown in Kansas City, Missouri. So after, there was a two-week period after that call, to the time that I got fired. And it's interesting because during that two weeks, I would actually go to where that meeting was, but I just couldn't get myself in that door. But after I got fired and and was confronted with the truth of my alcoholism, I was able to walk through that door and I made it to that first meeting. Yeah. All right. So now you go into the first meeting and tell me about that. You and I were talking about this during the, when you were on my podcast, I was the first one in the room, and they had the steps and the traditions on the wall. Now, my big hang-up, my obstacle about going to AA, I'm now, I'm, now just, I'm just now turning 26. My big obstacle was I'm just too damn young. I can't be an alcoholic. I saw the traditions on the wall, and I saw the steps. And the first step said, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And I thought, man, that is just a perfect... <laughs> I didn't put it in these words, but just I, I processed it in my mind that that's me. That's what's happening to me. And then that tradition, that third tradition, that the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. And I had that. I wanted to stop drinking because I, I just, my life was impossible to live. So I felt like I was in the right place. Just those, that's before I met my first person. And then a guy came into the room, he, he gave me some coffee, other people filtered in. And I don't know if they do this in Texas, but in Kansas City and Missouri, they, um, when a newcomer comes to a meeting, they give a first step meeting, which is basically everybody goes around and they share their, their story with that person. And that was really a powerful thing for me. I, I couldn't say a word. I was just so shaken. But, and, and I could tell they, they looked at me as if like, there was some real concern in their eyes. I mean, they could tell that I was desperate. And they told their stories. And the details might have been different, but the feelings about our drinking was exactly the same. I could relate to that so well. The shame, the denial, the crazy life. But the thing is, they were telling their story, 
as something that had happened that they were not they're not currently involved with and i could just see i mean they were in suits and they were just they're successful and they they weren't in the same situation as, as i was they found a way out and they immediately gave me hope and they told me to come back and i did those meetings were critical to me early on i didn't have a job or anything and i would go to like five meetings a day sometimes mm-hmm. because John, all I wanted to do was drink still. I didn't want to drink, but I wanted to drink. I, I was frightened about the problems that I had. I didn't even know where to begin to, to, to tackle them. I mean, I had all these, I had this DWI that was pending. It looked like I was going to go to jail for a good long time. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I was going to lose my apartment, which I eventually did. The only way I knew to shut my mind off to not worry about things was to drink. But I couldn't drink because that's what caused me this, all these problems to begin with. So the only place I felt safe was in AA. And that's why I went to so many Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Mm-hmm. It's the on, it was the only way I could not drink. I hear you, brother. Right, I, I do. <laughs> so that's what I did. Now, getting back to the religion thing, too, because this is part of the story, I guess. But, you know, that first meeting, they, they, they closed with the Lord's Prayer. And they, they do that at most meetings here. They close with the Lord's Prayer. And I remember I learned the Lord's Prayer with, during that time when I was reading the Bible, so I knew it. I didn't feel comfortable saying it, but I didn't let that stop me. And that first group, they were really kind to me about that whole thing, too. They, they, when they did talk about higher power, the higher power, they told me not to worry about it too much. They said, you just, I think they knew that what I needed. They said, you just don't, you just don't drink and go to meetings. Because <laughs> that was pretty much all I could probably handle at the time. But, you know, I eventually, I, I, I fell into, I went to, the, I w- it was suggested I go to this group. Um, it's called P3, and it's a men's group here. I don't know why they suggested it to me. And I, and I thought, well, it's kind of weird that you want me to go to an all-men's group. Why is it called P3? It was called for, for Performance 3, and there's three areas where they perform that they put in their life, and they did it in this order, God, our fellow man, ourselves. And it was an old group started back in 1968. And it was was a group that was very much based in the big book. So, and sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And so what, what that group practiced is that you get a sponsor and that sponsor will take you through the big book. And generally what most of the sponsors did there is they would have you read, like you would start from the very beginning of the book, you would read the forewords and everything else. And you would read it repeatedly multiple times. And then you would get together and you would discuss it together and you would um, relate your own experience to what you read in the book. Looking back on it, this was actually a good experience for me. I'm glad that I learned the big book as I did. One thing I really liked about the big book in the very beginning was the doctor's opinion. I liked that term, entire psychic change. That was something I thought that was possible for me because it wasn't religious. And, I, and, and even everything else that was being suggested to me, like praying and so forth, I didn't really identify John as an atheist, okay? But I, didn't, I, I knew I just didn't believe in God. But, but I just thought, okay, I'm going to pray because I bet there's some psychological benefit to it that just going through that process, there must be something happening that that's beneficial. 
Okay. So even from the beginning, even coming into the program, you knew you were struggling with, I mean, and a lot of people do, as you know, struggle with belief in God and higher power and what it means to them and their conception. But you knew that even though you didn't identify as an atheist, you knew you were kind of leaning in that direction and you weren't quite buying into what a lot of people were buying into. Right. But I didn't speak about that openly. Because everybody else was speaking openly that they were pretty sure that they had a God in their life. So I didn't really speak about that openly, but I was trying to rationalize it all in my head. When I spoke in meetings, I spoke in the way that everyone else spoke because I got good positive vibes from everybody by doing that. And I was learning the language of Alcoholics Anonymous by reading this big book and studying right. it. Like I there did. is a lingo. There is. <laughs> there is. Uh, there, you know, there's certain, like I heard uh, somebody out in the, in the world one day, I was actually taking a yoga class and uh, uh, the teacher up there said uh, they were right toward the end of it. And they go, and if you want to be happy and joyous and free, and I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. When you hear those three words together, you know, you know where it's coming from. Uh, but anyway, there's a lingo. So you were, you were speaking in meetings. I was, I, I, um, during, you know, when I very first got was in my first six months or so, I, I really had a hard time opening up, but I, I did. And I, I, I was pretty honest, but, um, once I got into the book and this after about six months, I think it was when I finally got a sponsor and we started going through the book, I started I don't know. I started making sense of it and trying to apply it in my life. And and when I, when I shared in meetings, I would usually always bring something up from the big book. And that was, that was pretty standard for me for quite some time. Um, I did well at that group. I mean, I haven't had a drink since I got to my very first meeting. Um, my life got progressively better. One nice thing about that group is I was, I was a young person in my twenties anyway. And there were other people my age there. And so we kind of bonded and we hung out together, even not during meetings. We'd go to movies together. We'd go to restaurants together, do things together. And so I had this fellowship. I had these good friends. Like I, I never had friends like that when I was drinking. I mean, it was, it was, that was so nice, you know, and I love these guys and it, it meant everything for me to have this. We'd watch football games together. We'd go to football games, just did all kinds of things that I never did when I was drinking. So I had a good life. I mean, I, I, I struggled getting on my feet financially, but I didn't really worry about that so much. I mean, I, it was like, you know, I, AA was good to me. It just taught me that, you know, how to handle, handle life on life's terms. And I did that. So. I was, um, during the first 10 years of my sobriety, I was pretty much um, very much into sponsoring people and um, working with people in the big book and going out to speak and going on 12-step calls. We used to do a lot of 12-step calls in those days. I mean, going to people's homes and taking them to the hospital and I was doing all that stuff. So, so were you doing the traditional, like, um, you know, when you take people through the through the book, you know, you go to the third step and you do the God I offer myself to the, you know, were you doing the traditional taking yes. people through the big book that way? Okay. I got on my knees with them and prayed. And I, at, now that this time I'm praying, John, every day and night, I'm doing the drill. I call it the drill here where you, you wake up in the morning, you get on your knees, you ask God to give you a day of sobriety. You go to a meeting and at the end of the day, you get on your knees and you thank God for that day of sobriety. And I think maybe calling your sponsors in there too. But anyway, I did that drill. 
And I got, I was at a point, especially during that first 10 years anyway, where it was like, if I left the house and, and didn't pray, I had to go back and start over. <laughs> I mean, I, I was that way. And I don't know if I believed or not, but I certainly talked as if I believed, you know, and I don't know. That's what, that's what I did. I, I did my best. I prayed a lot. I mean, it was through prayer that I could make it without drinking. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a useful tool for me and I, I did use it and I prayed with other people. I, I did that during my first 10 years of sobriety. Now, interestingly, what happened in, in, at 10 years of sobriety, after, after about my 10th year of sobriety, my father died unexpectedly. He um, had, he got this weird virus and it's just kind of a really, really weird thing. You went to the hospital three days later, he's dead. And how old was he? 64. And I'm 35, I guess. That was a significant uh, point of my life. What happened is, you know, I, I, I never really, I never really, I'm 35 years old. I've been sober for 10 years, but I never really, I didn't really accomplish much. I'd never been married. I never owned a home. I never even had a car loan. Um, my jobs were very low paying. Um, I never finished college and my father died and he, and I felt like, you know, I never, I, I, I should have done these things so he could have been proud of me. But after he died, I started taking care of all those things in a frenzy. Hmm. I enrolled back in college. I started going to school. I eventually got a bachelor's degree, and then I went on and got a master's degree. I started dating um, a lot, and I, with the goal of getting married and having a family, um, I bought a house. And do you think do you think this was all because you realized what your own uh, your your mortality and you only had so much time left? I don't know. It was this weird thing. I I almost remember like I would I would achieve something like graduating from college and I would think about my father. I, I it's almost like I had to I had to I was trying to prove something. I don't know what I was doing, but anyway, it was good for me. I did well. <laughs> you know, I needed to go to school and everything. So but during that time, I wasn't going to as many meetings, okay, during a, like a four-year period of time when I was going to school and so forth and dating and everything. I was still going to meetings, and AA was still like a focus of my life, but I wasn't going to two meetings a day like I was or a meeting a day. You know, um, I might go to one or two meetings a week sometimes, so the meetings really kind of slowed down, but I was also learning a lot. And um, I was learning to think critically. This is probably the phase when I started thinking more outside the box when it came to the spirituality of AA. I stopped praying, okay? I stopped praying again. And so what was that like? Do you remember any significant changes inside you when that happened? No, it's funny. I just stopped. I just stopped doing it. I just stopped and I didn't tell anybody I stopped. It was a really big thing at our, at the group I went to that people would always talk about how they prayed all the time, you know, about the drill. I mean, the drill was so important. Get on your knees at night in the morning, get on your knees at night. Well, I never said, Hey, I don't pray. I never said that, but I just didn't. Did you feel like, oh, am I doing something wrong here? I did. I felt, I felt like I should have been telling people. Right, like an imposter type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I didn't. So anyway, after I, I went through this period of time, I started dating, I got married, and then I started picking up my meeting attendance more. But I was pretty, I don't know, I, I went through this period of time where 
I felt like I felt like I, looking back on it. I don't know if I felt this way at the time, but looking back on it, I feel like there was a there was a phase of my recovery, probably from ten to twenty years or whatever. That second part of the thirty, whatever that second third of my sobriety, I, I was just kind of like going through the motions. I was saying the things that I knew the people wanted to hear. After I'd been sober for twenty five years. I'd read some books. Um, I read Richard Dawkins' um, book. Um, and who is Richard Dawkins? Is that? Oh, a- he he's like a he's like a really well known atheist. Okay, gotcha. And he, I got, I can't remember the name of his book for some dang reason. I read um, Christopher Hitchens, who wrote "God Is Not Great." Um, anyway, these are just well known atheists, and I started thinking more about atheism, and I realized that I am an atheist. I'm 25 years sober or, or 25 years. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm 25 years sober at this time okay. when I realized I'm an atheist. Wow. Yeah, it was. And, and it frightened me to okay. have that realization. And the first thing I thought was, how am I going to do AA? <laughs> what That's am I going to do? the first thing I thought when I found out about <laughs> I thought, how do they do AA without God? Uh, so yeah, so you're going through that thought process, and then- yeah, and the, I so I grab out my trusty big book, and I um, I start reading it again, but I read it in a different way. I read it a little bit more critically, I guess, and I read it with more thought about how do I really understand this. And basically, what I did with it is I I went through it and I would cross out all the God references. And what I discovered is by when I removed all the references to God, what was left underneath was the practical action that I had taken and the real life experiences that I had. And I came to understand that I could do this program as an atheist by essentially following a practical program of action. Yeah. So I have listened to probably eight to 10 of your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 you know, just to kind of get a flavor of it, I'm very intrigued by it, uh, to say the least. Um, and I, when I hear the stories being told, both your stories and the stories of your guests, it does, to me, it doesn't sound that terribly different from a traditional AA story. It's just that the deity, so to speak, and God is left out, but the process is basically the same. So, so how, so here, I guess here's a question, right? Uh, Cause I know there's going to be people listening to this going, wow, how does this guy do this? Right. How does, how does their whole world do this? How does this whole subculture operate? So how do you get around? So, okay. So you, you, you know, you cross it out, but how do you go through the steps? You know, how do you practice it? It's all throughout the traditions as well. How do you, how do you practice the steps without actually participating in the God part, so to speak. Okay. It's pretty easy, actually. <laughs> it's simple. And I, I, w- w- this, what it is, okay, this is how I see the steps. The first three steps in particular, although they're, they're much deeper than this, but they are essentially experiences that we had. They are things that happened to us. We came to a point that we realized we were alcoholics. We um, gave up on the idea that we could control our drinking. We came to find hope that there was help, and we made a decision to get that help. 
those are the first three steps. Mm-hmm. Now, the that's what we all have in common. That's an experience that we all have in common. But how we describe that experience is what is different. So one who believes in a deity, a god, is going to describe this very profound experience through spiritual terminology, religious language, their, their faith is how they're going to express that experience. Someone who does not have a belief in a deity is going to express the same experience, I guess, in more um, practical, humanistic language, focusing maybe on the people that help them. And I think that's the difference. It's 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 the ex, it's how we how we describe the experience. So, you know, but there's more to it than that too. I mean, those steps. I I believe that the steps those like the first step is an experience we have, right? But there's a lot you can learn from it. There's a lot you can learn from it because you can practice the the admission of um, powerlessness over all kinds of problems, and I do. Um, so I learned a lot from the experience, but essentially it was an experience I had. It was that time when I was on the bridge and I was ready to jump. And then the second step for me was coming to believe that AA could help me. I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And that power greater than myself is Alcoholics Anonymous. And then the third step, so many people get hung up on the God part of it. Um, so many people, so many atheists do. And a lot of atheists say, oh, we can't do this step. But to me, the most critical part of that third step is the decision. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over. Well, it says to God as we understood him, but I just turned my will and my life over. I made a decision to change is basically what the step is to me. Okay. So I made the third step for me is a decision to do the rest of the steps. So step one is I have a problem. Step two is I have hope. Step three is I am going to do these suggested steps. Okay. So yeah. And by the way, this is not a, uh, you know, on sober speak, I, I never want to do like a, a gotcha sort of interview, right? Oh, and no, I, that's like- <laughs> And I thank God you did not have me try to explain the existence of God when I was yeah, right. I would have gotten lost in right, the weeds right. real quick, right? So I'm more after your experience and how you do this. So, mm-hmm. so like when, when, when you're going through pieces of the book and 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 you hear things like you know Bill's experience where he mm-hmm. actually saw the light and stuff mm-hmm. like that. What I mean, do you? How do you? How do you deal with that? Is that something you just kind of put to the side or? Uh, no. Remember too that they used to make fun of Bill. They used to call it his hot flash. They used to make fun of Bill uh, back in the day too <laughs> about that experience. Okay, uh, I think even Bill uh, at one point made light of it, but it was a very serious. It was it was it was something that he really had. And again, I don't, I don't doubt he had the experience, but for me, there's a natural explanation for everything. We, just because I don't know what the explanation is, I don't attribute it to a supernatural explanation. 
So there was something else that was going on to him. It could have been emotion. It could have been the drugs that he was coming off of during the detox process. But something definitely happened. And he had this, he, and I've had experiences like this where it's like, wow, it's a, it's a, releva- it's a re- revelation. Revelation. Revelation, yeah. I guess. You realize something that you hadn't realized before. You know, for me, it's, it's because of some emotional trauma that I'm coming out of and I'm getting hope. And it's a, it's, an, it's a wonderful feeling. It's a great experience. It's a great human experience. And Bill described it through supernatural. That's, that was his explanation. So I have no problem with that. Now, I don't really use the big book as much as I, as I used to. In fact, I, you know, there's one chapter I had to rewrite, the chapter to the agnostics. I rewrote it in my own language. Really? Mm-hmm. And so when you, so you rewrite it and then that's what you use to sponsor guys or in your, so, so, so let's, let's talk about AA Beyond Belief. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm assuming your podcast, which is called AA Beyond Belief, and it took me a while to kind of figure out what the title was, but, and, and I could be wrong, but in other words, you're saying AA Beyond Belief in God, what you right. can do with the program right right the belief is the belief is irrelevant is 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 how i see the program the belief it you if you believe in god that's wonderful but it's not necessary and we can focus on on recovery leaving the belief part aside right but that's what we do anyway and as i told you on your podcast so from my perspective okay um i anybody who's going to use the steps to improve their life and better their life and move along their life and recover from alcoholism. My gosh, you know, uh, if they want to put a different spin on it, you know, then traditionalists uh, do it. Uh, I'm good for it. And, you know, um, I, I've heard people on your podcast uh, having, they, they, they struggle with their local intergroups uh, getting, um, uh, accepted to and being listed as a group. And I just want to say this publicly from my perspective, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is a, it's a, uh, a self-cleansing type of organization. If it's not going to get traction and nobody cares about it, it's going to go away. That's but right. By the same token, if somebody really struggles with the God piece and they are an atheist and they want to use the the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in order to get sober. I, I want them to have an option. I don't want them to be left out there on the curb. Uh, so, and I, I was just thinking about this today. So I know that you had been in the program for a long time, 25 years, and then you kind of came to this realization mm-hmm. that you are an atheist. On the flip side of that, have you known anybody who came in as an atheist, maybe started in your group that you have in Kansas City and mm-hmm. flipped the other way? Yes. Well, I mean, going to belief. Yes, correct. No. Not I yet. don't know. Okay, well. They exist, but they don't probably come to our meeting. Yeah. Now, we do. Interestingly enough, though, we do have believers come to our meetings who prefer to leave, even though they believe in God, they prefer to leave that outside of their recovery. And and let's just uh, back up here a second. I don't think we ever got to the point because I interrupted you mm-hmm. that you have a you and somebody else, I believe, started a meeting in the Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. And what's the name of the meeting again? We Agnostics. We Agnostics. And it is specifically for what you would call free thinkers, atheists, agnostics. Uh, yep. And they they come to that meeting to practice. It's a special, special interest 
um, meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, like gay groups or young people's groups. It's a, it's a special interest group. So anybody is welcome. It, you don't have to be an atheist or agnostic to go to these meetings. Do you have uh, many people who aren't, who are believers that come to your meeting? We have a few, we have a few, but most of us are atheist or agnostic. And to be honest with you, we needed to have this meeting because at other meetings, either subtly or overtly, we're made to feel that we don't belong. And, and I, I was made to feel that way at my old home group that I went to for 25 years. All of a sudden, when I started speaking um, about the program and, and this new understanding that I had of it, um, I would be corrected. The one time when I realized I needed to get a divorce from my old home group, we were the the meeting had to do about um, this phrase from the, this line from the big book that someday the time and place will come when no human power will be able to help you and you have to rely on God, something like that, right? I said at the meeting, I said, no, that's not true for me because there is no God. And so far, people have not failed me. You know, I, I can't even imagine how, you know, where, where, you know, unless I'm on some desert island somewhere, where, where am I not going to be able to get in touch with an alcoholic? I mean, I've got the internet, I've got cell phones. I, I mean, yeah, so I have not yet had the fellowship fail me. And, but people were really upset with me. They said, no, you know, there are something you have to have. There's the, you, you, if without some higher power, it's, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so that's when I decided to go ahead and start, start this group and, and there's a need for it. And, and, you know, we started, when we started the group, we would find people who um, were having the same difficulty at meetings where they just didn't feel like they could be honest about how they experienced the program. And um, so they, they found a sanctuary, I guess, at our group. And it's similar to like, you know, um, when they started the gay groups, one reason for that is that they needed the the gays and lesbians, they needed to have a, a place where they could meet, where they could talk about their life openly, their relationships and so forth openly. And they didn't feel comfortable doing that in regular meetings. Well, we have the same need here. So we started gathering together. We When we first started, I think it was people that had this experience of difficulty in AA. So they came, so they started coming to our meetings. But then we started getting people who would not go to AA whatsoever because of their perception of it being religious. So they would come to our meeting. And we've got a lot of people now, younger people in particular, who have never been to any other sort of AA meeting. Now, our meeting is the same as any meeting. The only difference is that we don't open and close with a prayer. We open the meeting with a reading of the AA preamble and we close by saying, thank you for coming. Have do you a nice read day. like how it works and stuff no, like that? No, okay. we do not. How it works is not a good thing for us. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, 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 um, I once led a meeting at um, our area assembly in uh, Sedalia, Missouri, and I love our area assembly. And um, of course, there's believers there. This is Missouri. And uh, they said, aren't you going to read the meet, start the meeting by reading how it works? I says, no, I'm not. I hate that reading. I think, I think it's, I, th- I don't think it's, I don't think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I respect the big book, but I put it in the context of its time, a historical context. So in 1939, when these people were coming out of the Oxford group, that made perfect sense. But in the 21st century, it doesn't make sense. There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. When, they, when I used to go to my old group, 
when I started getting a little bit more open, open about it, when they would read that, I said, or not. <laughs> Maybe find him or not. So no, I don't like how it works. So we do not read how it works, but we just, we just start and, you know, you know, when I was first starting out, there were a lot of groups that didn't read how it works and they started their meetings. But now it seems like almost every group does. But every group would always open the meeting with a preamble. So we do open the meeting, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others recover from alcoholism. So here's another thing I'm interested in. So you you have mentioned the word religious many times, but as you as you know, there are many people in Alcoholics Anonymous right now who say, you know, hey, we, I mean, there's a big thing about, you know, we're not religious, we're spiritual and, and all that sort of stuff. So they, they don't like to uh, attach themselves to any quote religion as, right. as well. Right. So uh, when you say religious, uh, are, are you thinking spiritual in the same? I put the two together and, and, and it's really true what you say. Um, when I was going to my group, I don't think I don't think the majority of people even went to church, right? But they closed every meeting with the with the recitation of the Lord's Prayer, um, you know. And I think that's I think that's a religious practice, you know. I don't think it's appropriate, even, you know. And I don't participate in it anymore. If I if I ever go to a meeting that does that. But, so speaking of, do you go to meetings that are uh, non or traditional? I don't, but I don't have to. We have like eight meetings a week now that are um, secular here in Kansas City. Really? Mm-hmm. So, and is and that the have, one group? We, no, we that? have three different groups now. We have three groups. We have um, we have we agnostics that meets Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We have um, free thinkers, which meets Monday and Wednesday. And by the way, what's the difference between a free thinker and an Is it just a There's no difference, or? really. Okay. There's no difference. I don't even know where the, the term free thinker comes from. I guess it came from this guy in England. And, and, and a free thinker is basically someone who doesn't accept the common orthodoxy of, of religious religion or whatever. Um, so that's a free thinker, I suppose. But we're all pretty much atheist agnostic. And... Anyway, so we have these, and then we have the, the secular speaker meeting. But um, something that people might be interested in knowing is even amongst us atheists, there's a lot of diversity in how we approach the program and how we deal with spirituality. There are some atheists who are very comfortable with having a spiritual program and using spiritual terminology. It's very important to them. Oh, there are now some, you're really confusing me. Yeah, it is. It, it can get very confusing. We. So, we we run the gamut where we have, we have one, de- one sort of atheist that has absolutely no use for the steps whatsoever. They don't even want to interpret them in a secular way. They think, no, I don't need it. It's uh, then, for me. All then, I need okay. Well, hold on. Let me, I, just, <laughs> I have to ask this. So uh-huh. if they have no use for the steps, what are they doing in a AA meeting? So to because speak? AA is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. Gotcha. So they're that, for the fellowship. They're yes. meet like-minded individuals. The they have their idea is that the steps are suggested, and not suggested in the way that I suggest you put your parachute on when you jump out of the plane. But they're suggested as an option. It's so we, ha- but we are primarily a fellowship that help each other stay sober, and that's how they see it. They have no use for the steps. They don't do them. But now I think. I think a lot of the steps kind of work you anyway. Now I'm a big believer in the steps because of my, my background. 
So I think that, you know, I think a lot of people who don't formally work the steps by going to meetings, you end up doing a lot of them anyway. I mean, you open up, you get honest, you do some soul searching, you do, you know, a little inventory. A lot of the stuff kind of just seeps into you anyway. But no, there are atheists that don't have anything to do with their steps. Then you have those like me. And I think that I represent the majority of atheists in AA, where we still want to interpret the steps in our own language. That's, that's how most of us feel. But it's, it's a secular interpretation. Uh, you know, without spiritual, um, co- a spiritual component. But then we have another group of atheists who are very spiritual. Some even pray, you know, but they don't believe that they're praying to a God. Okay. What do they and think they're praying to? They're just are- praying as like an affirmation. They're praying, you know, some of them even have like spirit universal thing, or whatever. I mean, but they consider themselves atheists. So that we have this wide degree. I mean, so you can't really pin us down, but I think that I fall somewhere in the middle. I think that uh, most people are like me where they still um, believe in the steps. and They want to find a way to work them without supernatural, you know, language or belief. Okay. So let me ask you a question. So let's say tomorrow I come to, the We Agnostics group in Kansas City. And I hear John speaking in a meeting, John SU, and I think, okay, I want John to sponsor me. This guy seems like he has what I want. So you start sponsoring me. And what are the differences between how like, you know, the traditional sponsorship with work work versus what you would do with somebody. I mean, just the thumbnail sketch of it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, and this is really interesting for me too, growing up with the big book in AA. And remember I've been in AA now for the majority of my life. We don't use the big book. And, and I think one reason is, is I had at one time the big book weaponized against me. People would quote the big book to show me where I was wrong. Because of that, I was turned off by it. And I am feeling now a tug to kind of go back to it because I think it's important. I think it's important. It's an important foundational document of our fellowship. And I think that atheists need to understand it in its historical context because our groups exist because of that book. That book is our history too. In fact, there were atheists involved with writing that book. I, I think it's important for us to understand that book. And I want to kind of bring it back somehow to our group. But to answer your question, I do sponsor people. Um, I haven't sponsored a lot of them. And we still go through the steps. Um, there is literature out there written by atheists in AA that we use um, that deal that have secular interpretations of the steps. Um, one of them, it's a new book that was coincidentally written by a guy named Bill W, but it is not the Bill W. <laughs> it's called the, um, the 12 Secular Steps. And he does a pretty good job laying out the steps in a secular way. And then there's the Alternative Steps book. Uh, Mario Hornbacher wrote a really good book called, um, I'm spacing out on it now, Mario Hornbacher um, wrote a really brilliant book that we sometimes use as well. It's pretty spiritual though. But yeah, so we use outside literature. When, when, which, you know, some people in AA say, oh, you can't use outside literature, but no, nah, you can. Just because something is conference approved doesn't mean that other things are not approved. <laughs> you can read anything you want to. So we do read outside literature and um, from outside religion, our meaning, because the AA literature doesn't work for us so much. 
Now, one reason I'm involved in general service is I want AA to update its literature of the program of recovery in a way that is available to both the believer and the non-believer and is using language of the 21st century rather than the 20th century. So what sort of suggestions are you making in that arena? What Update what, what literature? The big book. Well, put it this way. Don't change the big book. Leave the big book as it is. It's, it's history. But let's write a new book for our time in our language. I mean, we are Alcoholics Anonymous. We should, in my opinion, should be building on the foundation that was laid for us. We shouldn't just be tied to that book from the 1930s and try to force it on people of the 21st century. I mean, I know, I know people that look at that book and it, it makes no sense to them. The, the, the language is just so bizarre. And it would be nice if we could have in our, us, alcohol, we members of Alcoholics Anonymous write something for the people of today. And if we did that, I think we should do it in a way that is respectful of people of all beliefs. I think there should be room for the person who wants to express their recovery and experience their recovery in a spiritual way um, with a belief in a, in a higher power that we should respect and honor that. But we should also respect and honor those who want to express their recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous without the spiritual language or the deity and in an entirely secular way. And our current literature, of course, because it was written coming out of the Oxford group doesn't do that, but it's certainly possible to write a new book. Alcoholics Anonymous should write a new book that is neutral on the question that says, Hey, we're, we're all sorts of people, you know, and you know, like they, they messed up on the week chapter of the agnostics because they wrote it, like saying, hey, if you're an agnostic, you can do this too. But they were trying to convert us in that chapter. And, and I'll send you the, one, the version that I wrote. The version that I wrote is, is like, hey, this is really, I'm really a, an atheist and this is how I do it. But I certainly do respect your, your, your experience and I value that. But this is my experience. And you know, it's not that different. Yeah, give give me a link to that if you if you have one, and I can put it in the show notes. So I don't know. Take you, you know what I was thinking of while you were talking about that. Would a like a pamphlet be a better like a a better start, if you will? We have a good pamphlet now. The um, General Service Conference just approved a the Godword pamphlet, and this is a pamphlet that was originated by the General Service Office of Great Britain. Um, and my group is, is actually wrote the. Um, the uh, trustee literature trustee committee and asked that they put forward on the general service conference that um, AA world services adopt the Godward pamphlet and the conference approved that pamphlet and it's, it's called the Godward the Godward and it's published now. And basically um, it says the Godward and this is published by Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the Godward agnostic and atheist members in AA. And it's a pamphlet that has the experience of atheists and agnostics in AA, um, you know, has the universe is my higher power, for example, an atheist in recovery, Dean's story, all these different stories of, of people who um, experience AA as non-believers. And this is conference approved. So we do have this now. And I'm proud of the fact that my group was part of the process of getting this approved. They, when, when they forwarded the um, background material to all the delegates at the General Service Conference, they, they um, forwarded the letter that our GSR sent 
So they said, on behalf of the We Agnostics group in Kansas City, Missouri, we're asking that you do this. But <laughs> there were other area assemblies, though, that also voted for this. So this is accepted. I mean, the, the wonderful thing about, that I, about AA is I can get pretty passionate sometimes, and I could probably argue with people, too. But by and large, we really get along. And, you know, when I, I, I love my area assembly and, you know, unless I start talking about the big book with them, like, and, and some of the things I've said here, like it might be sacrilegious on people like write a new book yeah, or, no. right, or, or how it works. We don't know. Oh, yeah. Wait, are you life. crazy? I was just picturing people <laughs> listening in their cars. Or I know. And, and I can make people mad too, but I, and I just take it as like, oh yeah, it's just normal. Right. But I remember. I would that might have offended me too. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, um, it helps. You know, like when something happens in a meeting that is a little off kilter, if you will, right? And somebody says something that I don't agree with. Well, it helps me to solidify or crystallize what I believe in my world, right? And so if it is causing me some sort of uh, upset, uh, you know, it's time for me to go inside and look at me and think about why do I believe that, you know? And and I like I like the questions and, and I'm much different. I tell you what, if we'd had this interview 20 Five years ago or so, I think it'd be a much different interview, uh, from both from my perspective and, yeah. and and your perspective. And so, all right. So, why don't you go ahead and tell people about your uh, podcast and how to, how to how to access it? And I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. well. Thank you, AA Beyond Belief. And we started this in September of 2015. And the website was really uh, we were encouraged to do it by Roger C from Hamilton, Ontario, and he has a website called AA Agnostica. He was planning on retiring, and he asked me to start up a, a site to replace it. Well, he ended up not retiring, which is cool. So now um, we got his site and my site. But the podcast, I absolutely love it. Um, we've now gone past 100 episodes, and the, they, they're similar to your podcast. I mean, we, we focus on personal stories and that, that evolve into conversations. Um, most of the guests are agnostics or atheists, um, and they come from that perspective. Most also, of them, but one I mean, of them is not. One of them is not, yeah. I think them. <laughs> one that wasn't. Um, yeah, and then we also will interview like authors who've written books um, and things like that. And it's just a lot of fun. And um, you can find it on anywhere that you, you download podcasts, iTunes, or any app that you use for podcasts, and our website, aabeyondbelief.org. Yeah. Yeah, John, you are a really great guy. I am so sorry you're going to hell, but it was really <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> I know. That real nice. <laughs> I'm so sorry I had to do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's where you can find John. Uh, you know, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed our time together, John. I appreciate it. Uh, in fact, I've gone longer than I generally go. Uh, I've enjoyed yeah. this conversation very much. Yeah. Like I said, uh, I, I consider you a new friend. And, yeah, uh, me too. Um, and so anyway, we will be in touch. God bless you, my friend. Thank and you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Bye -bye. it, John.